So it's been a while since Ripples was asking questions about the big issues or decisions that have made such a huge impact on our lives for the past nearly three years. I'm your host, Claire English. Uh, You may remember in the first season of Ripples, we looked at how COVID was affecting cancer treatment and patients' morale. We had lots of incredible stories from patients and scientists who provided insight and inspiration. And then for Ripples 2, we put the focus on the student experience during lockdown. College and university students were left more or less to their own devices as the pandemic played havoc with their education and of course their social lives. It was pretty miserable, wasn't it? Well, in a way, we are returning to our roots now with season three with an incredibly important but much overlooked health consequence of COVID and lockdown. Yes, it's still going on. Vaccines, they came, they made so many of us grateful that at last some semblance of normal life was possible. We could mix again with others, get on with things. But that wasn't the case for all of us. Who are they? And why aren't the people who make the big decisions on their healthcare options doing more about their plight? If you haven't already guessed, we are talking about the forgotten 500,000. If you don't recognise that phrase, then perhaps like me, you are fortunate your health is pretty good. Covid is a manageable concern. It's not life altering. However, I want you to meet three highly informed guests who will tell you what it's like to live with a compromised immune system and inform us about the scale of the problem as well. And let's be clear about the aims of Ripple's podcast this time round. We hope to amplify the voices of those who are still shielding, still living in limbo because the vaccines do not provide the protection they need. And crucially, alternative medication isn't on the horizon. It looked like it was coming, but it's not that simple. What are we doing with Ripples? Well, we're shining a true light on the experience of those who don't have the luxury of being able to move on with their lives for two years, for two years, more than two years, a long time. I am delighted we've got a top scientist on board, someone I met previously on Ripples. His name is Dr. Leonard Lee. I'm incredibly grateful to him for flagging up this issue, along with two others who are living with this uncertainty, Mark Oakley and Blanche Hampton. Late last week, I logged into Zoom, pressed record, and I had a chat with all three. Now, I've left it more or less intact to capture a real-time, unedited conversation, and I learned a lot from it. So, shall we begin? I started with Leonard, the academic, clinical lecturer and medical oncology consultant. It had been quite a long time since we'd caught up, and much had happened. The last time we spoke, um, we were talking about the effects of COVID and cancer care, Leonard, and you'd started a WhatsApp group to give reassurance to people who had uh, immune compromised illness to go to hospital amidst the COVID chaos. And now you're tweeting again. Um, What's going on? What's the latest twist in the tale? That's right. Thank you, Claire, for inviting me back. I really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, we've been going since March 2020. Um, we showed that chemotherapy had to continue in the pandemic. And actually, we've had great success now because most people, if not everyone, can now continue to get cancer care. And that was one of the great successes of what the UK cancer community did. Um, I guess what we're thinking about now is what do we do now? Because coronavirus hasn't gone away yet. 
Uh, it's been incredibly hard two and a half years for many, many people. And actually, our patients are keep coming back to us and say, actually, what about now? Um, and I guess the important thing to why they're coming to us is because they're coming to us having had the coronavirus vaccine and some of them who are on chemotherapy or because they've got blood cancer haven't responded to it. So they've got poor antibody levels and poor responses. And I guess the really tricky thing is that there are people still ending up in hospital getting sick. And it's not that many, but it, there are people, it's definitely happening. Um, and many of these patients immunocompromised. Um, and I think that's really the issue that we're looking at at the moment. Um, how do we protect people who haven't responded to vaccination um, this winter? And what about the estimates? We're talking, what, really 500,000 people, potentially more than that when you add on family, carers and people that are impacted by this, Leonard? Yeah, that's about right. So um, you can be immunocompromised for a number of reasons and it can affect people at all ages and whether you're young or old. It, it depends on a combination of your condition, whether you've got a cancer, a blood cancer or an autoimmune disease, and also the treatments that you're getting, um, if it's immunosuppressant drugs. And these these are conditions which could make you immunocompromised, and that's about half a million people in total. Do we have any idea of the, the nationwide breakdown? I think we were looking at somewhere in the region of 40,000 in Scotland. I don't know about the other devolved nations. Do you have any figures? Um, that's about right. So um, there are about 40,000 people who are forecasted to be immunocompromised in Scotland. So um, a, a, a small city, basically. Gosh, it's a lot of people. Now, there was hope on the horizon. There was a drug that came along. Would you like to tell us about that and tell us why everyone was getting excited about it? So there is a drug which can potentially present the immunocompromised. Um, it was... We knew about it in about January this year from the studies which came out. And what it is, it's for people who don't respond to vaccination. It's a form of antibody therapy. Um, it's given a similar form to vaccination. But what it does is it gives people an additional boost to their immune system to help protect from coronavirus. The original studies from uh, about January time were showing that it could prevent eight in 10 infections um, from coronavirus. So um, a pretty good drug, actually, in terms of what the data was looking at at the time. Um, this was taken up across the world, and many people have decided this is right for their population. So um, the Israelis and the Americans and the French all went ahead. And you've now got 32 countries using this drug um, to protect people who haven't responded to the fully to vaccination. Is it an expensive drug? Is there a problem with that? Um, so... It's 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 an anti it's it's, a, it's an antibody treatment, so a bit more expansive than vaccines, um, but it does look like it's working, and it's working in, in a group of individuals who are very hard to treat, um, and and the drug is Evershield. Um It's a combination of two antibodies. So Evershield has got very good. Well, looks like it's got good indicators. It looks like it's working. Over thirty countries around the world have adopted it. Britain or the UK government were on the point of releasing this to patients. And then what? Um, so as I, so what happened was that um, England moved quite quickly, actually. So in spring this year, the MHRA approved the drug for use in the UK. Um, so that was about March time. In May time, the clinical groups had identified people who were likely to benefit from it. 
And then we didn't hear anything going forward forwards um, until about August time, where we heard that actually this wasn't going to happen before this winter um, and that there's going to go through a process now where the evidence will be reviewed, cost economic analyses will be done, health technology appraisal will be done. And we think that around spring or summertime next year, we might get a verdict on whether this could be made available in the UK. But winter is coming and that's a really problematic time for people that have got their immunity compromised, isn't it? It's it's difficult. And actually, I think the most important thing that we must do is really understand people's what their experiences are, because I think the whole country's gone back to normal. Most of the country's gone back to more normal, but some people have been left behind. And actually, they they do have a lot of difficulty as a result of this. Um, and I think um, it's it's really difficult, actually, if you're immunocompromised and you haven't responded to the vaccine and, and you 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 know that you're at increased risk. It's, it's a very difficult situation. Well, we've got two such people with us today, which is fantastic. We've got Mark and Blanche, and um, I'll get you to introduce yourselves. Mark, first of all, just tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself, just very briefly. Hi, Pat. Um, I'm Mark Oakley. I'm 52 years old. I live in the south of England. Um, I have got an autoimmune disease called uh, sarcoidosis and it's the pulmonary version, so it affects my lungs. Um, and because I'm autoimmune, it means that I have to take uh, immunosuppressants basically to control it. So uh, that's my story. Um, and I've been kind of shielding since the pandemic began. So we're over 900 days now. And Blanche, tell us who you are and what your take on this is as well. I, I know a little bit about your history, but you're going to have to spell it out for us all. Hi, Claire. So um, a communications background for medical research, stopped working in June 2020, around when the time when the pandemic uh, really began because I was too unwell to continue working. I have lupus, um, but it's a version of lupus that has, um, uh, it's been very hard to control. Um, I have seizures um i'm in a state of collapse a lot of the time but um towards the end of 2020 then they offered me a new drug belimumab and um changed everything for me gave me a new lease of life but unfortunately along with the other drugs that i take for my sle um my immune system is now very suppressed and and basically doesn't work anymore I'm on mycophenolate, I'm on prednisone, and I'm on bulimumab, as well as all the other stuff that you know one would normally have. Um, the problem has been that these drugs have been so fantastic that I've had zero response to the five vaccines I've had. Gosh. Absolutely nothing. I expected that it would be low, but I was quite shocked to find out that it was nothing. So um, I've been trying to stay away from people. I decided, you know, I wanted to, I cancelled trips. I was going back to Australia and I had to cancel all of that. Um, then I, just recently, six weeks ago, I got COVID. And I thought, oh, well, at least there will be the antivirals. And? But there weren't. Um, I'm eligible 
uh, I got caught up in a four-day dispute as to which health board was going to give them to me, which effectively closed my window for the antivirals to do anything for me. They turned up. I used them. They were, you know, I started to get a little bit better. But the day I stopped using them, the next day, it all came back with a vengeance and I was so, so sick. And I'm now six weeks after it began and I can't stand up. Um, I can, it's very hard to breathe. And you've um, not so, been mixing, Blanche. You've been pretty well shielding. Oh, I've seen through. no one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I see you on a screen. I've, I've, I've seen no one. So, so that's kind of where it is. It's, it's the, you know, the, the things I thought were in place weren't. And to understand that you have no response to the vaccines, the antivirals may or may not arrive in time for you. Um, and that there is an option, but we're not being offered it. That's very, very hard to deal with. Mark, you're listening to this. Um, have you heard anything similar? Or have you experienced anything similar to what you've just heard from Blanche? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm been lucky so far. We've had COVID in our family. Um, I live with my wife and two daughters, um, but we've and I've just been so careful at the slightest sort of heightening of risk. I've, I've basically ended up living in the summer house away from my family. And it, it proved, it's proved to be the right tactic because at Easter, my wife and, and my youngest child, she got it for the second time. Um, and I'd been living up in the summer house for five days after they'd gone to a trip up in London for a few days to have a bit of a break. Um, so, yeah, very similar times. And, and the stories of, of the access to the antivirals, um, it, it's just here all the time. It's just a continuing tale of woe. And unfortunately, the... The ones that are available are becoming less and less. Um, some of them are now being discounted that they don't work. Um, I, I think I'm down to, I think it's a choice of one or two if I get it because of also the, the medication I take. So it's it's not a good picture and it's not a good kind of risk to put yourself at. You're kind of left with Hobson's choice, really. And of course, you know, tamped down by, of course, the initial joy of finding that there was going to be a vaccine for COVID and thinking I can have some kind of a life. And then to find out that it's it's not going to last and it's not going to work for people like you, that must have been pretty devastating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, towards the end of 2020, when, you know, everyone was pinning their hopes on the vaccines and when, when we saw those pictures of the first vaccines going into people's arms, we, we literally, my wife stood in the kitchen and we, and we just held each other and cried. And then when I got the first vaccine, that was the first time I'd been in another building um, outside home. I walked out and I just literally collapsed into my wife's arms in the car park with the GP surgery and we just stood there sobbing and we just thought, this is it, you know, we're on our way now. It's just like every time you get somewhere, you you take one step forward and two steps back at the moment and you get the rug pulled from under you. So it's just a constant impact from having no real protection and uh, Blanche has said to me, it's the hope thing as well, yeah? Yeah, totally. You you kind of look towards thinking that, that you know, I might be able to go back to some normal life here and then it, it just 
it just gets pulled away from you again. And you feel like you are, you know, when you do go out, you are constantly looking over your shoulder and, and having to risk assess everything. And it was so mentally draining and tiring. Um, you, you kind of, every time you go out for a walk, you're, you're scanning and looking ahead for a sort of make sure you've got an escape route or it's, it's just horrible. It's not a way to live. It's, it's, it's just an existence at the moment is how it feels. Blanche, you're nodding along. Tell us about your perspective as well. I, I know some of this, but again, it's useful mm. to recap. Well, it, it's also that, um, you know, nobody lives totally alone. I mean, I may live alone, but, you know, I found out that I had neighbours when I was sick and, you know, those people um, came to feed me and take care of me because, you know, the consensus with my GP was that it wasn't worth going to A&E, um, that I would not benefit from what was going to be on offer. So, and that made me very aware of the, the group, the people around me who, who are very, um, very supportive and very careful. But that said, I do think, oh, you're a very nice person, but you're terribly social. I really can't be talking to you. Um, I really can't have contact with you lovely people um, because you're just too friendly. Uh, so that, that ends up kind of chopping my life in half a little bit more and it's, it's kind of at the point where you, I sort of think, well, I have, a, I have a choice here. I have absolutely zero energy and I can barely do anything, but it is worth fighting for every shelter because otherwise it's like sitting in the middle of a train track waiting for the next train because I will get COVID again. And I don't know how weakened I am by this last one. It's pretty bad. Um, and what am I supposed to do? Just keep getting COVID until it kills me. So these, this is the option I think that we face. You know, something has to be done now and might as well use the last bit of energy on that because the idea I think not that's so, that's not a life of any kind sorry Blanche you, you cut out a little bit there but we got the idea of what you were saying there Mark okay, um, sorry again, no, no 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 it was your te technical stuff as usual there's surprisingly little dog action in my house today which usually sabotages everything but Mark yeah something has to give um you've just heard that account there I, I bet that's pretty familiar to you yeah it's it's totally familiar and i can i can totally echo what blanche says and it, it's it's because i've got children at home you're put in a in a position as well where you are you feel massively guilty and you feel massively conflicted because you want to be able to give, you know, they've had to put up with so much for such a long period and they're growing up and you want to try and give them those opportunities and that freedom that they need. But everything that they do, you have to balance what they, what they're doing and the risk to you. And it was, it, it, it was easy at the beginning because the front door was shut and everybody was in the same situation. And then as things start to ease off, that's when you start having to make the decisions. And then you get into the situation where we are now, where everything's eased off. And 
you kind of wake up like every day's Groundhog Day and you begin to think, am I living... It's almost like, am I living a half-life in another world kind of thing? And, and, and is it just me? You know, is, is there sort of something wrong with me in, in terms of this is all in my head almost? And then you speak to other people and you find actually, no, you're not. This, you know, this is happening to so many people and so many families across the country. And the knock-on effects as well on the family from the, you know, the mental strain it puts on, puts on them and on, on relationships is just so, so difficult to, to comprehend. You know, when, when you have to live away from your family and you, you can't hold them, um, and, and when you see they're ill and you can't go near them, it's just, it's just absolutely soul destroying. Do you get any support at all apart from uh, the people that are near you and love you? And that is problematic, but you've just said that puts pressure on them as well. What about your local health uh, professionals, your GP surgery? Have they been helpful to you? I mean, my actual GP is, has been has been pretty good. They but they have suffered as, as I think most surgeries have with the sheer weight of numbers and their own problems, etc. So it has been noticeable since the start of the pandemic that the access to them has got harder um my consultant's been been fantastic at the royal brompton that they're still being very cautious and doing as many consultations as they can um over zoom etc so that's great but it's the people that you're dealing with at the front line that make life more difficult i've I had to have a, an urgent blood test a couple of weeks ago. Um, spoke to the nurse on the phone. She said, it'll be fine. Come in. We're all masked. We'll, we'll look after you. I'll come out and find you. You can wait outside if you want. I walked in there and the receptionist was just your archetypal doctor's receptionist. Ended up having an argument with her because she said, no, I'm not going to come out and find you. I ended up standing outside in the rain waiting, thinking, Am I, is anyone actually going to come and find me or not? You get fed up with telling people that you're immunocompromised. Um, I, I went to local dentist surgery for a family appointment and my wife came out and she said, you're not going to be able to go in because they're not taking any precautions now, not wearing any masks. And when I told them our situation, they just said, well, we don't have to, so we're not going to. Um, I, I, I honestly get better treatment when I go to the our vets. Um, Seriously, tell, tell us why. I, I, absolutely, seriously. They have me down on the computer as immunocompromised. I turn up, I literally give my phone call to say I'm outside in the surgery. They come out outside wearing a mask. They chat to me. They, they take the cap or the door off of me. The, the, the vet will then phone up from inside the surgery and say, this is what we found. This is what we're going to do. Or they come out and have a chat with me. Um, they bring the cat back out or the dog back out, all masked up again. And then the receptionist will phone me up to, to take the payment a little bit later on. It, it's not hard to do. Uh, I, and I, I literally said to them the other week when I went in, I just said to them, thank you so much for, for doing this. And they were absolutely, genuinely absolutely gobsmacked that, you know, I was getting this treatment here, but as a human being, I wasn't getting it. Um, a GP's or dental surgery. It, it's just, 
it just seems beyond ridiculous and we seem to have moved past the you know first do no harm kind of yeah it, it just beggars belief i can see blanche is itching to get in blanche oh not so much itching um, <laughs> scratching it's it, it it's more to do with the fact that um i was trying to involve my gp in the getting of the antivirals when i was sick because i realized that something weird had happened and there was this strange territorial dispute going on um my gp wasn't there this particular day i spoke to my there was a locum there who didn't seem to be able to look at my record and kept saying to me he said oh you sound all right you are you sure you need them and she i said can't said you that. i said can't you said, can't you see my record can't you see the drugs that i'm on and he said no no i can't see those and within the space of five minutes desperate as i was for help getting the antivirals all he wanted to do was give me antidepressants kept insisting that i was being anxious and i kept saying i'm not anxious i'm ill Leonard, I don't want the, to politicise this and drag you into to a, a bun fight with uh, the attitudes of people, but there seems to be quite a gulf, isn't there, in, in the way people are being treated that have these particular challenges, that they, they are being treated either ignored or else it's just not understood. This is a serious problem. It is life limiting what they're having to do. It's actually really difficult to hear what people are living through at the moment, because um, I'm very fortunate in having a, a relatively healthy immune system and, 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 and being able to return to normal life. But I think there are a few things that it's really important to just draw from this, really. I think it's important to protect each other and think about others who are not as fortunate as you, um, particularly if they're at risk of coronavirus. Um, I think... It's very difficult for Mark and Blanche because coronavirus hasn't gone away and it's still out there in the community and it could be a lot more cases this winter. Um, I don't think we should forget about anyone or leave anyone behind because there are many people still shielding as part of this forgotten lockdown and it, and it continues for them and it was incredibly hard for all of us and, and I think this is very much their lives now and I think we hear it from our patients, for those of us treating immunocompromised people, it's very difficult for them and really I do think that if we can do more to try and reduce their risk this winter then it should all be considered um, and, 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 and carefully discuss the pros and cons and, and I think that's what's fantastic about Ripple to try and dissect these issues why it's not been done when it should be when it could have been done and where are the benefits um, but it's just really difficult and it's really important to hear these testimonies because it is a, lo a lot of people, 500,000 people in a very similar situation. This is what it's all about, uh, giving people a voice and allowing them to, to tell us about what their lives are like or what their lives could be like if they were treated the same as everyone else. But let me just go back briefly, Mark, to Evesheld. You're, you're a real campaigner now for this. How urgent is the need for something to move on this from the Westminster point of view? And Blanche, I think you've got some news on the Scottish front as well. So Mark, first of all. Uh, in, in terms of urgency, it needs to be yesterday. You know, there, there's still people dying. There's, there's still people ending up in hospital that, if they're not dying, they're having bad outcomes that 
are magnifying the problems that they've already got. You know, when, when you're in this situation where you've got a condition like this, it, it's not by choice. It's not because you've, you you know, you've lived a, a carefree life where you've taken drugs, you've done alcohol or anything like this. You, you've just drawn the short straw um, for, for God knows what reason. And it, it changes your life overnight, literally overnight. That, that's what happened to me. So what um, has was, to happen, Mark? What has to happen at Westminster now? Because this is getting kicked into the long grass. It appears, it certainly appears that way till next spring. Somebody needs to grow a backbone, basically, and make a decision and and look around them and see what's actually happening. And, you know, it's not just the effect it has on us, but you fill the hospitals up with us over winter, the most difficult people to treat, and you're making it hard for everyone else. It's... It needs doing and it needs sorting now. Blanche, what's the situation in Scotland? So the um, NICE runs the um, English medical uh, medicines approval process um, in the sense of deciding what to buy and what price to pay and all of that sort of stuff. Um, It's different in Scotland. We have the Scottish Medicines Consortium here. And I believe it's different in Wales also. Now, the Scottish Medicines Consortium does not always do, they usually do, but they don't always do what NICE recommends. And so there has been a bit more activity here, particularly from Scottish politicians, um, questioning what's happening with Evusual, because obviously their constituents are pushing them. Um, and so a question was put in um, to the Scottish Parliament about two weeks ago um, by Labour um, uh, MSP Jackie Bailey asking what is what is the Scottish Medicines Consortium doing about evolution? And she's due an answer next week that, of course, may be pushed out by current affairs. Um, so... But she's been, I've been in touch with her and uh, we did a story this week for the local media. Uh, so the, the idea would be, you know, one would hope that Scotland might have a different view uh, as it has on other things. And um, that if that occurred, this would be useful um, decision that could be taken to Westminster and saying, well, you know, if this if Scotland is prepared to do it, why aren't you? So I've, I think a little bit is riding on this and I've also been in contact with two other politicians here and so everybody is very then. keen to follow it up. Yeah, it's cross-party. It's not, this is not a partisan Absolutely, political... and that's what I've said to them. I said, look, this is not a political football. We, you know, we are sick. And we are going to die. So please raise your voice, ask the question, and let's see what can be done. Mark, do you take any heart from the fact that maybe there'll be a response next week, as soon as next week, to find out at least what's what the thinking is in Scotland? Yeah, I mean, anywhere that moves forward with this, you, you've got to you've got to hate as as a success. Um, I might start thinking about moving to Scotland at this rate. Um, <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, you know, it, 
it, it might make people realise in Westminster that perhaps you know they are making the wrong or they've made the wrong decision. Um, it, it isn't political in terms of you know we there's MPs from across all sides that are, that are pushing for this and talking about this, but it, it does seem to be political in the way that it's being handled at the centre and, and kicked around and. and no one willing to make that decision. But if Scotland Scotland moves for it and makes makes a positive move, then that, that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, sorry, Blanche, very briefly. Oh, just very briefly, I just wanted to ask Mark, why why do you think this strange sort of extra review, lengthy extra review has become part of the program? Do you have any insight into that? <sighs> I mean, it's only supposition because we can only get so much information from them. But we think because possibly on the civil service side of things where mistakes have been made with, with purchases that they've made during the pandemic, they're now scared to move in any direction. And unfortunately, because of the void that was created just before the summer with everything that went on in Westminster, people were just put in position to hold hold the line basically and so didn't have the didn't have the bravery I was trying to use another word then to, to make the decision and push it through um, I guess we're in the, the sort of realms of speculation about that to be fair but you know let's yeah, just, absolutely. Let, but it is very frustrating and it's not um, a transparency that you would probably want it's quite opaque but um, it would be great to to keep going and maybe catch up next week, see what happens with the Scottish uh, question that's put by Jackie Bailey and see if that nudges it forward. I guess it keeps the issue live. That's what everybody wants. Leonard, um, as an academic, as a scientist, how important is it that this, these stories, these awful life experience, lived experience stories get out there and people hear this? Because 500,000 forgotten people, that's a stat. Blanche and Mark are people. I think this podcast and the stories that we surface are really important, actually, because um, Mark and Blanche are experiencing a lot of hardship. It's really difficult for them. And I think it's very difficult for many people who are immunocompromised at the moment, whose immune system is not very strong. Um, and I think these voices do need to be heard. Um, the difficulty here is that they can't go out in the streets and tell people this, all they can do is go to their charities and say, look, please help me. Um, and likewise, go to a doctor and say, please, can you tell my story? Um, and I think that's what we're trying to do. Um, the 19 charities have started to speak out and saying, this is affecting our members. Um, the, the doctors have also started to speak out and say, this is affecting our patients too. And I think um, everyone wants to work together. We want to try and protect each other. We, we started this pandemic together. Um, I think we... We hope that we can put all protection or more protection in place if it if it works. And I think that's what we're going to consider over this podcast and really delve into issues. And I think that's just really important because it is important that we don't forget anyone as part of it. And many people are still being affected as part of this forgotten lockdown. Um, and, and it's a forgotten 500,000, which is quite a large number. And you're going to keep tweeting about it, Leonard. You're going to keep us up to date with things as well? Absolutely. So the science is moving on very, very fast at the moment. So um, 
countries are starting to publish their data about how effective they think it is. I think there is uncertainty about how effective it's going to be during Omicron. And it's really good to get to grips with these issues here because clearly it's affecting Mark and Blanche. And there's many, many more people um, who will probably get to hear as part of this series. And that's very exciting. And Mark, finally, if anyone wants to get in touch uh, and campaign, have you got a hashtag? Have you got a handle that you can tell us they can contact you on? They can also contact us via this podcast. But if they want to get in touch with you. Yeah, we've got a a Facebook group, uh, which is Have You Showered for the UK? We're also on Twitter. Um, They just put in the hashtag Have You Showered um, for the UK. They'll find us come up on there. Uh, We've also got a website, um, getheveyoushowered.uk which has got all the information about the group. It's It's got a lot of information about all the research and letters for MPs and things like that. So it's, it's really worth a look. Great stuff. And uh, Leonard's just uh, give me a message. It's hashtag forgotten 500k. So look out for that as well. Hashtag forgotten 500k. Thank you so much, Mark, Blanche, Leonard. Um, hopefully speak to you sometime next week, if that's OK. Absolutely. Cool. Very cool, actually. Leonard's a busy guy. Blanche and Mark have had to tell their story so often. It's exhausting recounting the bumpy road they've they've both had to travel on. I'm really grateful. A very painful thing to, to have to keep retelling. And they're just two people who, along with their family and their friends, have had to press pause and wait for news on medication that could change everything for the better. Please do join our conversation. Get in touch. Let us know if this sounds like your story, someone that you know perhaps and love. Tell us if you have particular insight as a patient or a medic or a scientist, because we hope over the coming weeks we can provide more information and insight. Um, You heard Mark giving you his social media contacts, Leonard's hashtag on Twitter. Plus, you can get in touch with Ripples Direct. Leave me a voice message on the Anchor app. You will have to sign up to Anchor, but it's free and it's only a way of reaching me directly. Until next time, stay safe. Hope you have a decent week despite the considerable challenges. Bye for now.